You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is the presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. We're going to do Luke chapter 15, the whole chapter. There's a lot in it. <laughs> There's so much in it. I, um, someone, you know, People write a book about it for the whole thing. The one book out of this chapter and uh, these stories, and uh, well, actually, a book out of half of this chapter, and um, you know, people tend to break it up. But I really wanted to, did not want to break it up and just kind of look at it as a whole because it's a, it's a one story. It's Jesus in one sitting telling a story, and uh, I think it benefits us if we just kind of overlook through the whole thing and try to get out of uh, what we want to get out. Uh, what is what Jesus? The core meaning of Jesus. And uh, the scenery of what we're about to read in chapter 15 is, is again, um, Jesus out there having a party. So this is another party scene of Jesus, and uh, he's again having to explain why he's hanging out and having party and eating and drinking with wrong people. So, and you know how that is. Uh, He's asked by people who's not part of the party. And you know how that is, right? You you have a party, someone next door knocks on the door and says, hey, you're too loud. Well, why don't you join in? Yeah. I had, uh, when I was in college, in the apartment that I lived in, some of you guys have been there, across the hall from my house, I had a neighbor who was so awesome. We'd have a party, and I had a lot of parties in my house back then. And he would just, hey, let me just put my kids to sleep, and he'd just come and join. There was no complaint about party, because, you know, you're joining it, right? So, But it's different from someone who's not part of it. Like, you're in your neighborhood, if somebody else is having a party and noisy, then you'll complain, right? Man, what's this noise? Can you quiet down? It's because you don't know what's going on and you're not part of it. But if you're part of it, you enjoy it. So that's what's going on. Jesus is having a party, being with these people. People who are not part of it is complaining, why are you doing this? So this is another one of, we've had this a couple of times, Jesus, you know, answering, um, why are you always parting with these people? And Jesus goes, well, let me explain. And this is where Jesus goes to explain why uh, he's hanging out and what he's doing. So you see that in verse 3, in your sermon notes, verse 3, Jesus says, so he told them this parable. So he's explaining to them why there's a party and why he's a part of it. And it ends with the conclusion, the very last verse in 32, he says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because his brother, this brother of yours had was dead and has come to life and he was lost and has been found. So what we're about to read is story of something or someone, well something means someone, being found when he was lost. And there's a celebration. And this celebration is homecoming celebration. It's a homecoming party because what was left home, someone who left home has come home. And Jesus explains it in three different parables, three different stories. And that's what we're going to encounter. And so... Really, the main point of the story is going to be this. Because he's explaining to people who's outside the party, not joining the party. And his question is, are you going to join or are you going to stand outside and grumble about this party? And that's really the question that Jesus is asking through the his story. Um, and so that's the overall scheme of what's going on in the story. So we're going to go ahead and read. Um, I really wish there were some more time because there's so much, but I'm, tr- I'm going to try to make it as brief on each 
as possible. It's such a great story, and there's so many points and so many things that we can learn from, and that would really impact, um, really capture our heart and impact our lives. So let me pray, and we'll go ahead and read this story of three parables. Jesus, I pray that your voice will be heard by the power of your Spirit in our hearts, that our mind will engage, that our hearts will be touched, and your love and grace will capture our hearts, that we know that we'll be longing to come home to you and know that you will receive us, no matter who we are and where we have been. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and read. It's long, but it's a great story. Let's start with the verse 1 of Luke chapter 15. And uh, you read the next verse. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. So he told them this parable. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that belongs to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in desolate living. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Then the, son said, then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And get the fatty calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatty calf, because he, got, he has got him back safe and sound. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. And I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me that even a young goat 
so that I might celebrate with my friends. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You see why it flows really well as the whole the whole chapter that Jesus explained. So let's get into it. Uh, obviously, at the beginning, there are people upset, and these are Pharisees and um, lawyers who are upset, and they're saying this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he's they're describing sinners, and there are three different types of sinners we see in this scene, and one of them is tax like tax collectors, and these are public sinners, sinners who are kind of out there. You know, uh, like politicians and sinners we know, like in public, like Bill Clinton or, um, you know, Miley Cyrus or whatever, right? We know these are, oh, those are bad people. Or Lady Gaga or whatever, right? These people, we know, oh, those are such a terrible people. These are people who are out there, we obviously know they're sinners. And there are sinners, just regular, just Joe kind of sinners. They're just Joe. But in this setting, in Jesus' time, these are people who are poor. So they're unable to follow the religious rules. So they, the religious you know, leaders like Pharisees call them sinners or outcasts. Someone who are misfortunate and they, they interpret their misfortune into them being sinners. So these are just regular sinners. And there's a third one, which you will not mention here, and they are religious sinners. And these are the people who are like Pharisees, who are hypocritical, judgmental, proud, and self-righteous. And really, they're the worst kind. Right? They're the worst kind. They're the ones who don't think they're sinners, who are sinners. So, which means that's everybody. You know, Jesus, you know the, the scripture is right. All are, everyone, are sinners. And we also belong to one of them. We are also sinners. We are either bluntly sinning out there, or we are privately sinning, just regular old Joe sinning, or we are like religious ones. And these are the, the religious sinners are the ones that kind of creeps up on you. You don't think that's going on. Unless someone catches you, you realize that, oh, I've been, I'm being self-righteous. I've been, I'm being judgmental. So really the point of it all is, but Jesus hangs out with all of them. Not only does he eat with tax collectors and uh, sinners, who does he also eat with? Pharisees. He eats a ton of times with Pharisees. He hangs out with everybody. And we've seen that. So he... Tells them this story, so he told them a parable, right? So he tells them a story, and the first one starts with the story of lost sheep. Most of you heard these parables over and over. But there's much more going on than what you have already known. So the lost sheep is from verse 4 to 7, and it starts with, Which one of you? That's the way of saying, Wouldn't you, don't you agree, is what Jesus is saying. You know this, is what Jesus is saying. Which one of you? Story about losing something. Have you ever lost anything? Valuable? Some of you lose things too often. Way too often. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at you, right? (laughs) Have you lost anything? Something really valuable. Right? Esther and I don't haven't really lost Hannah. You know, the losing kid is the worst thing ever, right? We haven't really lost Hannah. The only time we thought we lost Hannah was in Walmart. (laughs) Right, for a while we'd be like, Where's Hannah? Where's Hannah? And it just Rows of aisles and going, oh no, it's huge in here, right? That was scary. Um, so Jesus saying, wouldn't you? Don't you know this? Don't you understand what's going on here? Jesus is trying to bring people into the story. So the story goes like this. 
uh, a shepherd has 100 sheep, loses one, leaves 99 behind, goes to search for one, finds it, put it on his shoulder, brings back, calls a party, and rejoices with everybody. And Jesus said, there's one, uh, there's a joy over in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99, who does not need to repent. And that doesn't mean that 99 is righteous, 99 are Christians, or 99 doesn't need repent. This is sort of like a tongue-in-cheek. Jesus saying, look at the Pharisees, 99 who doesn't need repent. In real true meaning, he's saying 99 who doesn't think, who don't think they need repentance. So he's referring to Pharisees, right? Because when we see this, look at the story, what's the difference of one sheep over 99? It's not really favored, right? What's the difference? 99 said, what's with one? Just lost. Yeah. The only difference is, is that one sheep is lost. So we look at this story and we try to understand by tr- figuring out who is who in the story. When you look at it, shepherd, who's shepherd? Take a wild guess. Jesus. Shepherd is Jesus. Shepherd is God, right? Shepherd is God or Jesus. And when you look at it, when you think of it, Jesus referring himself as shepherd. Or God. That's incredibly humble state that Jesus calls himself into. Because shepherding is really not a career that you go go after. Right? It's not one of those careers like, man, when I grow up, I want to be like flipping burgers at McDonald's. You know, it's not your career goal. Right? You know, when I grow up, I'm going to, you know, be a street cleaner. You know, there's nothing wrong with it when you get to it. But it's really not a career that you aim after. And that's kind of what it was. Shepherding was the worst kind. It's the last thing people do because what it entailed was you sleep out in the open. You don't really go to sleep. You've got to watch the sheep. And how boring is watching sheep, right? And everybody wants to eat sheep. So you got to, you know, it's risky because you have to protect your flock from the dangers of wild animals. And it's really not the best, you know, job that you want to have. It's not really a career that you came after. But Jesus... God is shepherd. And we see that how humbling that is. And who are the sheep? Sheep. Sheep is plural. Sheep. Who are sheep? Us. Right? And when you think about sheep, what are sheep like? <laughs> They're the dumbest animal ever. Cute. Sheep are so cute. They're not cute. I mean, they're dirty and they stink. If you ever approach sheep, because they don't what. They don't do that because they can't move. They just look straight, right? This is all they do. And they stink. They get lost. They're dumb, right? They're weak. I mean, you don't really approach sheep thinking, oh, this is going to be so dangerous. They don't do anything. They do nothing. If they fall, they can't get up, right? These are the dumbest animals. So when Jesus calls us sheep, he's not trying to flatter us, right? It's, you know, you got to think about, oh, we're sheep? That's it? And, you know, some of you think that, oh, me, I'm smart, I'm strong, you know, I can do all these things, I'm great. Think, Jesus calls you sheep. <laughs> Dumbest animal ever, right? The weakest, stinkiest. So, you know, and, and you look at it, Bible reminds us over and over who we are. Isaiah chapter 53, 6 says, All we like sheep has gone astray. And over and over in the Psalms, we are sheep. Right? That's who we are. And we tend to wander off. Just take off. Because we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> just, you know, it's something out there. You just wander off. Right? Um, that's who we are. And 
most of us can relate to that. How we wonder, or we sing a song, come thy fount, sings about us, we're prone to wonder. Walk away from God. I'll tell you my story. Before God captured my heart, I was about to wander off completely. And uh, I was serving at church, but my faith wasn't there. I was doing it because I was used to doing it. Um, I was doing it horribly, and I was sinning and living double life at the same time. And I thought, you know, this is BS. I'm going to quit. I'm actually going to leave home, go to Hawaii. Some of you know this story. Go to Hawaii, get a job bartending, because I was a great bartender. <laughs> um, and leave at the beach. My friend was going to send me out surfing, you know, doing teaching surfing in Waikiki Beach. You know, think about the fun that I would have and the lifestyle I would have. And I'm not going to, I'm going to go stop going to church. I don't want to be church going anymore. I want to have my Sundays off. And I actually stopped going to church here for like a month. My family freaked out, right? But I was ready to just give it up and just wander off. Right? Until God kept my mind. That's who we are. We are so prone to wander off. We look outside. We tend to wander off. So, Jesus is telling the story. The point is, Sheep, we need two things. Number one, sheep need shepherd and flock. And I won't go into it, but that basically means we need Jesus and we need the rest of us. We need church. That's what Jesus is saying. But the even bigger point is, and the point of all of the story is how God rejoices when the lost one is found. And so verse 6, we read, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep. That was lost. Okay, the second story is a lost story of lost coin, and that's from verse 8 to 10. In verse 8, again, it says, Oh, what woman? That means, wouldn't you also agree? You know, wouldn't you? And he tells the story, it's about a woman who has 10 silver coins, and one each silver coin is worth like a day's labor. So, in our today, in our standard, it's like $100, right? It's like $100, so she's got like $1,000 worth of coins, and she loses one. She lost $100, right? If you lose $100, what do you do? You look for it, right? It doesn't matter if you're, you know, you know, Steve Jobs or whatever, you know. You look for $100, right? <laughs> you look for $100. So this woman is valuable. She's looking. She finds it. She flips the house upside down to find it. She finds it, and she calls neighbors and friends, and she says, Rejoice, I found a lost coin, let's have a party. And again, Jesus says, there will be more joy in the heaven, in the presence of angels, over uh, one lost uh, coin that's found, lost, um, that repents. So again, the figures of the story. Who is woman? Who is the woman? Jesus. Jesus, God. Isn't that incredible? God identifies himself as a woman. So you know that there's a, in Twin Peaks, there's a little purple church, the Church of Goddess. Yeah. You know, they got it half right. Which means they got it completely wrong, but they got it half right, right? <laughs> God is also a woman, right? I mean, God is neither, but at the same time, he's both man and woman, right? So, Jesus, God, um, recognizes himself as a woman. And who is, uh, who is coin? Who is the coin? Uh, us. Us. We're going worse, right? We went from sheep to inanimate objects. <laughs> but we're silver, that's worth it. We're silver. We're, <laughs> we are valuable, but at the same time, we don't do anything. We can't even move ourselves. We're inanimate objects. We're not even as good as gold. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's us. And I think when you think, consider sheep and coin, what we find is that we don't 
find God. I mean, can sheep and coin find the shepherd and the owner, the woman? No. But God finds us. We don't find God. Salvation comes to us. And it's when we misunderstand that we find God, we become a place of self-righteous people like the Pharisees, that I did something to receive salvation. There was, I was someone more than, greater than the sheep and coin. I can do something. So that's really the big idea, is that salvation comes to us, and it has come to all of us. We didn't find God. God found us, and He brought salvation to us. And at the end of this story as well, God rejoices. Verse 9, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And you see, the both story has mirror image of what's going on in the heaven as Jesus tells this story that's going on on earth. Verse 7 says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Verse 10 says, Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. You read that, it says, Presence of angels. Angels aren't the one who's rejoicing. They may be, but who's rejoicing? God is. And angels are just looking at God rejoicing. It's kind of odd if you try to imagine it, but God is dancing and shouting and rejoicing over you, and angels are in awe. That's the scene of what's going on. And in Jewish thoughts at this time, when their perception is, their understanding is, there's a heaven and there's earth, and it's half and half. What goes on in heaven must be reflected on earth. What's on earth is to reflect, is the re- should be the reflection of heaven. So what that means is if there's a rejoicing and partying going on in heaven, there should be rejoicing and partying going on on earth. That's what our life should be. That's why we pray um, the you know Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we... May this earth reflect what it is in heaven. May our life reflect what's going on in heaven. So that's how our, our lives are supposed to be. It should be full of parties. And if you're part of a community that rejoices, that is all about bringing lost to be found, and we look at it, we understand there's a rejoicing in heaven, then we should be partying. Life life should be a place we party all the time. And that's who we want to be. We want to be a place where there's a joy and rejoicing, because we are all about bringing our friends and bringing others to find, to be found, to be found. So life in kingdom is life of party, and that means we're supposed to have fun. Christians, and this is really hard for some of you to get to, Christians are supposed to be having more fun, most fun than anybody else. And you know why? Because it's only when you understand that Creator rejoices over you. You can have true, true joy. Let me flip that over. Your joy cannot be true if you don't believe that God is rejoicing over you. God is happy about you. He's completely, completely pleased over you. If you can receive that in your heart, your joy cannot be complete. Your joy cannot be true. That's what's going on. That's who God is to us. And only then we can receive and truly rejoice. We move on to third story. And third story, we reflect what we find in the first two stories. But moreover, on this story, Jesus brings in the audience into the story. That's why we have two sons. We don't have one son who's lost. We have another son. It's a story of two sons. So this is a story of prodigal son. It's called in many names. But I don't know why it's called the return of the prodigal son. Because there are two. <laughs> the two sons, right? 
Some people call it, you know, the compassion of good father, or different names. Um, but, you know, it's mostly known as the return of the prodigal son. And it starts by, in verse 11, a man who had two sons. He had two sons. And so we're going to talk about younger son and the elder son, and we'll talk about the father. And here's what's going on, and most of you know this story. The younger son says, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And most of you who have heard this story understand what that means. What does that mean? What is he saying? Give me my inheritance. Right? He said, give me my inheritance, but the father is still alive and well, which means, can you divide up my inheritance? And it's not only dividing my inheritance. Father can divide inheritance, and that's huge disrespect at the same time, but I want it, which means it's not your right. It doesn't belong to you until I'm dead, but you want it now, which means, would you please die so I can have what's mine? Right? So the res- disrespect and is great. Basically meaning, I just really need your dad, because I need what's mine. It's all about me. So verse 13, so a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. He gathered all he had in a few days. What that means is, he sold out everything. I mean, family doesn't have treasure box or bank, right? They had the land, different properties. He went out in the street and sold them all, which means the town knows. It's a small town. Like I told you, right? Town of less than 100. It's a small town. Now everyone knows. Why is his son selling all these possessions? And they know, right? I mean, if it's today, he's on eBay. He's on Craigslist, right? He's got everything listed out. He's selling everything because he needs to move. He can't move. He doesn't want to be... Uh, he just wants money. He's selling everything. Town knows. And they are talking. They are going to the father. Do you know what's going on? Shouldn't you disown this child? Shouldn't you beat this child? And actually, the father has a right to actually kill him. Because in this culture, to man, the father, everything belongs to him as a possession. Right? And he has a right to disown and get rid of his possessions. He can just kill him. So town people are going at him like, what's going on? Shouldn't you do something about it? And he's leaving town. Right? He leaves town, which means the man is rich. Son took a bunch of property that's in the town. He's taking the rich property of town. He's going off. He's taking a big chunk of what belongs to town and he's taking off the money of town. So what would, how would town people feel? They're angry. They're shouting. They're cursing at him. They're cursing at the father. How can you let him do this? Take our possessions. What's going to happen to my country, my town? And he goes to a distant country. So, you know, that means when Jesus is saying this story, it's just more than a young man wanting to explore the world. It's him wanting to leave everything behind. The value of the house, the certain way of thinking, living, he wants to leave it behind. He want, I want my own thing. He wants to reject everything that he was grown up to. Everything that he came belonging. Just cut loose in everything. Leaving home, rejecting. And that's what it means when we talk about boundless us, leaving home means we're rejecting the love of God the way that we belong to God, we're rejecting it. And we take off. And he slandered his properly in this dissolute living. And uh, as severe came, as famine came, took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So, you know, I don't really think he went and just spent it all. And it's, we tend to hear that in the story, but I, I'm sure that he tried. He enjoyed it, but he also tried to make a living out of it. I'm sure he wanted to, I'm going to come back being even more rich to, so I can show it off to town people. But things didn't work out. He didn't do so well. And not only that, 
things that are not, you know, not in his control came. Famine came and he's left with nothing. So he's got nothing. And so he looks for a job, feeding a pig, and that means he's taking the worst job ever for these people who Jesus is talking to. Worst job ever is to be with pigs because pigs are unclean. This is really the lowest worst job ever. And he's eating pig's food. Lowest you can possibly be is where this young man has found himself. So he think about his returning. He thinks in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, my father has higher hand, they're better off than me. I'm on a minor, so just go and be with my father as a higher hand and I'll be better off. Right? So he gets smart. He realizes that he's better off. But you see, he's not caring for the father. There's no love for the father. Still, he's thinking about himself. So he says this, I'm going to go and say these words. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer uh, no longer um, worthy to be called your son. These exact words of phrase are repeated over and over in the Old Testament as, as prayer that is insincere. So to trained ears who are listening to this, to Pharisees, they understand, oh, he's not sincere. He's just saying this to get by. And that's, we really understand that. His hope to return isn't sincere. He just want to find a way to survive. Because he's still choosing not to be son. He wants to be hired hand. You know, it's easier to be a servant than a son. Because if you're a servant, you're still hired hand. You can leave when you want to. You only need to take care of whatever you're responsible. You can complain about your pay. You can take up and have rested, you know, time of rest. You can go off on holidays. But if you're son, you take on the full responsibility. You need to become like the father in the end. It's greater. So he's still choosing, I just want to be the higher hand. I still don't want to be the son. Or maybe he doesn't think he can be anymore. Let's talk about the older son. He comes. The younger son comes back. Father embraces. There's a party going on. So older son comes back and hears the dancing and he hears the singing. And he asks one of the servants what's going on. And the servant answers back saying, there's a party going on. Your son is, your younger brother is back. He shares with the enthusiasm. Aren't you happy? This is great. It's a great thing. And what happens? He gets angry, right? He gets angry and he refuses to join the party. He stands outside. And again, that is huge disrespect to the father. Again, worthy of being beaten and disowned. He stands outside, staring at everybody. Everyone's staring at him. And why is your son coming in? And listen to the way he talks. He said, listen. This is it. You don't say that to older, right? You don't say, go, dad, listen to me, <laughs> right? That's what it means. Listen. And he says, for all these years, I have been working for you like a slave. And I have never disobeyed a single command, right? And you never give me this and blah, 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 blah. He's a complainer. He's complaining, right? He complains that, there's something that I'm due, I need to have, but I never fully received it. There's a great, deep resentment in the sun. You know, that's what it gets. When you complain, that's where you end up in. You end up in this deep hole when you complain. It starts with little impoliteness. Someone wasn't polite to you, you complain. Someone was neglected you, someone didn't say hi to you, someone just turned away from you, you complain about it. 
little whining, little grumbling, little lamenting and griping, and more and more, you think more about it. You analyze more about it. And deeper and deeper, you fall into a place where so deep, your hearts get filled with resentment. That's where this son is. Right? I mean, listen to him talking. He says, But when this son of yours came back, son of yours came back, and you can see him talking and crying at the same time. There's something that he's deeply, deeply hurt. Right? He's hurt, his father's rejoicing, and his father's rejoicing is hurt him, his self-esteem. So he's angry, and in his anger, he doesn't want to go in and share the joy. He's deeply hurt, so much that he wants to separate himself. He's rejecting himself. I'm not your father, that's not my younger brother. I'm no one. I have no belongings. So you can understand, he has been obedient, and he has taken his obedience and duty... That has been his burden. So it wasn't a service and love to the Father, but it was just a slavery. That's what he says. I've been slaving for you. And you can tell he's been trying to live up to the expectation of the Father, which he doesn't feel that he has met. So does he sound like someone in the crowd? Yeah, it does, right? He's saying, I have obeyed every single commandment, right? I have obeyed everything you told me to do. Sounds like someone in the crowd, right? The Pharisees and religious people. The self-righteous. He's saying, I did everything right. So you can see, the son was gone, but he was lost. The other son, the elder son was home, but he was also lost. Just as the same. And you know, it's hard to recognize, hard to identify this son, because he's doing everything right, right? When you look from the outside, this elder son is obedient, he's dutiful, he's law-abiding, he's hard-working, he's respected by others, he's admired, he's praised by others, and he's the modern son. But outwardly, he's okay, he's received, but inwardly, what's happening now, is it's showing what's going on in his inside. He's resentful, he's proud, he's unkind, and he's selfish. So how does the father deal with these two, both of them at the same time? First, he divides his property between them as he was requested. And you know, that's the kind of love that we know of God. God's love is so great, He would let you free. And that's really the perfect love. Perfect love loves you so much, it lets you be free. Do not hold you. Doesn't you not to enforce the love, but let you be free. And then he longs and waits for his son to return. It says, But while he was far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Here's what's going on. When you go to Israel, uh, the, the way the town is set up, there's only one main entrance to the town. It's not like the street where there's a bunch of street going through, there's one entrance. There may be another way out, but it's mainly just one entrance. And small town. And father probably lives in a house that's mainly in the center because he's rich. Everyone lives together. It's a whole town. And in the middle of it is a town center. So what father's doing is he's watching his son coming back because of what would happen if he does come back and he's less than what he promised. He has sold off everything, part of what, what is town's possession, rich, Town has a little pillar. It's a pillar of shame. I forget what it's called in Hebrew. 
pillar of shame. They would bring him, drag him to the pillar of shame, and town people would come around and judge him and announce what is due as a punishment to him. That's what's going to happen. So the father is watching because he cannot let his son go to that. And he's running because he wants to embrace, he wants to catch his son before he gets the neighbors, the town people gets to him. He's running. He can't run because he's wearing a robe. So he picks up his robe and there's nothing underneath the robe. <laughs> you know, when you pick robe, it's, you're letting it out there. So there's a shame. The father embraces shame and disgrace so that he can save his son from going into the pillar of shame. He's taken the shame of the son. He goes there, captures him before the other people get to him and brings him home kisses him. Not only that, what does he do? He says, uh, quickly, kill the fat, fatty cow, you know, bring a robe, you know, best one, put it on him, put a ring on him, put a sandal on his foot. Robe signifies that he belongs to family. Ring signifies that he has a right to the possession. He can sign it off when he gives things away and makes a barter. Sandals means that he's rich. You, you go to Africa, they sing a song about God and they sing songs like, God will bring me shoes. God will bring me shoes. Because in that, in the poverty, you know, people who are poor, they don't have shoes. They sing about how God will bring them shoes because it means sign of rich. The father restores the son by giving him robes, ring, and sandals. Before he even utters this word, this fake repentance, he said, I'm going to say this, and he started murmuring, what he was going to say, fathers, I don't care about that. He received it. And you know, when you think about that, you know, his repentance is not complete. It's self-serving. It's purely for survival. There's no love. There's no care for the father. His repentance is not good. It's not good enough. But I said this over and over. But it's not the quality of our repentance that brings us to God. It's the quality of grace of God that is greater than our repentance that brings us to Him. The Son's repentance isn't good enough. But the grace of God is good enough to receive Him. That's what's going on here. Greater is than our sin is the grace of God. Always. And that's why we sing a song like, It's kindness that leads us to repentance. So some of you are thinking... I'm not ready to come to God. You know, I'm still selfish. I'm still not good. Uh, my repentance is complete. I still struggle. It's never going to be complete. It's never going to be good enough. But it doesn't need to be because God's grace is good enough. You know, that's why we sing songs like, <clears throat> it's a repentance. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. When we see the love of God, that leads us to repentance. And, you know, that's what's going on in this story. What do you think will happen to this son? Keep watching. Siri is not available. <laughs> he restores. And what he's doing? He's going around. He throws a party. The whole neighborhood comes. They still don't know what's going on. He goes around. He sits his son next to him. Probably his head dropped because he doesn't know. He's too shameful. He doesn't know whether he can, you know, why he's being accepted. And the father restores him to everybody. He doesn't understand. Probably he's just weeping. Because the love is too good to be true. It's too great 
Do you think the son would have rightful repentance in time? He would. It's the kindness and the grace that would win the son to have repentance. Same thing, when the older son refused to come in, the father comes out and begs, pleads. You don't do that. He takes him to shame again and says to the son, Son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. Which is actually true. The father has given everything away. He owns nothing. He owns nothing. He's given it all to his sons. So this is father who's ever patient, gracious, forgiving, insisting, waiting, redeeming, restoring, and loving. What an awesome story, right? If there's ever a story in the Bible that really completely tells the story of God's grace over us and who we are in our nature, it's this story. So, this is the painting by a famous person named Rembrandt. He is one of the greatest painters in history. He was in the 17th century, 1636 he died. This is his last painting. He was an old man, 63 years old, and before he died, he painted this. Prior to this painting, he has drew a painting of Simeon holding Jesus. And Simeon was an old man who was almost blind. He drew an old man before that, and he drew this before he died. You think of his life. His life, he was a young man. His you know, art was recognized, and he was famous. So there's a picture of himself he drew, and he's full of arrogance, full of lust, you know, full of self-righteousness, pride, living it up. And he has drawn himself of that. As the years went by, he got married, he had two children, his, his wife died, his two children died, he had a son who lived to be an adult, his, son, his daughter died again, had a grandchildren, his grandchildren died again. He had tragedies in his life. Awful, awful life as he went on. He lost everything. He was in court all the time, battling over the rights, over his art, which was being sold. He had a hard, hard life. And he was an old man. Looking back at his life, he drew this painting. So, this guy named Henry Newman, he was in, uh, he was in Netherlands, and in this monastery who was catered to a uh, Capronium kind of ministry, um, and he, he walked in one day in the office, he saw this painting, the copy of this painting. He was captured by so much. He said, what is this painting? And, and he got to know what it is. So he stared at it, he stared at it. Three, year late, three years later, he had an opportunity to go to Russia. And he had a yes immediately, because in Russia, in Hermitage, the original painting of this is there. And it's eight foot by six. It's huge. Uh... Um, the Golden Gate Community Church, in their office, they had uh, the reprint of this painting by the same size, eight foot eight by six. It was awesome. Like when they were going out of church, out of business, whatever, I was like, "Can I have the painting?" Right? <laughs> they said, "No." They they giving it away to somebody else. But it was so awesome. This one, I got it from Craigslist for twelve dollars. It's not worth anything. So you can't really see that well. It's horrible. It's a horrible copy of it. But look at it. This is Rembrandt's painting, what he titled as The Return of the Prodigal Son. It's the story of Prodigal Son we just read that he painted. What do you see? What's significant? What stands out to you? 
Then who's in it? There's a father, son, right? Father's embracing the son, and who's on the side? There's a guy standing, right? And there's a guy sitting. Do you see a woman? I know it's yeah in the back, and I know it's really creepy. This is a woman, but there is another woman here too. What? It's really creepy. You can barely see it, but there is a shadow about another woman in the corner because this is such a cheap reprint of it, and you can't really see it. Um, so there are four different people aside um, from the father and the son. So painting, and what stands out? What stands out? What do you see? Something you see that's significant. The sun kneeling. Sun kneeling. What's going on with the sun? Tell me. What does he have? What's he wearing? Regular clothes. That's his undergarment, right? That's all he's got. He's wearing underwear, right? What does he have? What else does he have? He's got sandals. One of is off, right? It shows his feet. There are just, you know, ragged, right? Ragged no. feet. He's got a little sword, little, you know, what do you call it, dagger. Uh, on the side, which is interesting, but what that means is in that time, Dagger had your family name. That means son held on to his identity all this time. He held that his sonship. And when you think about it, he drew it brilliantly in a way that the son returned, decided to return when he recognized of his sonship. He remembered, I have a family. There's a place I belong. I'm a son to someone. And that's what it takes. You hold on. You recognize that you belong to God and you turn. That's the son, right? What do you recognize about the father? What do you see of the father? Right, that's It's like a little, you know, arched shape of it, almost like welcoming in, right? He's bent over. His eyes are closed. Almost look like he was so old, you know, humble. Um, he's blind, you know, gripping, like bent over to grip, right? What else do you see? There's something very interesting. What else do you see? The guy sitting down has creepy eyes. Yeah, he's staring. He's creepy eyes. What do you think about father? Look at father's son, uh, hands. Hands of the father. Right? What do they look like? Huh? Are they different? Are they same hands? They're two different hands. One of them is late woman's hand. The other's manly hands. Which means one of them's mother... The other is father. Right. So Rembrandt has drawn where God is also a woman. It's the lost coin. The story of lost coin, he snuck that into. So father's hand is warm hands of mother and the manly hands of man. Embracing the son together. And there's a different character. So when you see it, really the question I want you to think about as you're staring at this painting is, which are you in this story? Which one are you in this story? Right? I mean, you look at it, there are different people. There's a tall man, he's looking very critically. You can see that's the elder son, right? He's very stiff. But he's the only one who's really staring at what's going on. But on the bottom, there's a platform that they're in, and there's a light in the platform. That's where the party is. Light, there's a light. But he's aside from the light. He's outside. He doesn't want to step in. And he's critically looking at it. And you look at the people. There are different types of outsiders and bystanders. That the slaves 
and they're all different, right? They're indifferent about it. They're, there's a curiosity. There's a you look at their eyes. They're kind of daydreaming, gazing. Um, they're kind of staring, but not really looking. And they're all in different distance, standing. There's a leaning, sitting with arms crossed, and the son has you know standing with his hands gripping each other, right? And you can see there's father and son. Everybody else is not involved. All kinds of different ways to not get involved with what's going on. They're just observing. Some of them is just kind of staring into nothing, gazing into nothing. The other son is critically looking but not involved. These are all different ways that Rembrandt has drawn for people to be not involved in homecoming. They're just outside. So which one are you? Are you younger son or elder son? If you're younger son, are you the rebellious one that you value innovation, new stuff? And it's funny, nowadays new stuff is new way of sinning, right? Saying that, oh, it's different now. It's not like the way it used to be, right? Are you into non-conformity, liberal, self-expression, alternative lifestyle, sensuality, spirituality? You're your own person, you claim. You're free-spirited, you're carefree. You're pride. You, you proud yourself in being unique. But at the same time, you're self-confident. You're almost too cocky. You're arrogant, immoral, disobedient. You're lazy. You're selfish. If you're younger, if you relate yourself more with the younger brother, your sin is visible and you use people. Or do you relate yourself more with the elder son who is more self-righteous? You value tradition, conformity. You play by rules. You like everyone to be the same, and you, you, you're all about keeping the rules, conservative, obedient, and hardworking. But at the same time, you're jealous, you're angry, you're a complainer, you're resentful. You have that subtle self-righteousness. It doesn't always come off, but it's there. You think you're better than others. You're morally good, you think. You're bitter, you're manipulative, selfish, attention-hungry. You like to be appreciated. You like to be affirmed. Your sin isn't so visible, it's invisible, but at the same time, it's there, and you judge people. Which are you? And whether you're a younger brother or elder son, you both use the father. Neither of them love father. They both just use father. And they're not mutually exclusive. You can go from being younger son, wandering off, rebellious, to the self-righteous older son and you go back and forth or you maybe just both do you recognize yourself in being one of them or both of them and let me close this I know it's long um, but you kind of expect that expected that it's a it's a lot to, for us to cover you know the story doesn't end right it doesn't end and that's the beauty of parable it doesn't end it leaves us to wonder and guess whatever happened to the son did he become did he settle down and became a good son or not what happened to elder son? Did he come in and join the party or was he, did he stand grumbling and took off just like the younger son did? What happened? It's the same thing with our story. Our story hasn't ended. It's an open-ended story. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? Henry Newman, I picked out his quote. Is he says, You are prodigal every time you search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. Which means you are lost 
outside the love of God. And you know, when you think about our faith, it's the hardest thing about faith is accepting, fully accepting and trusting that God loves us unconditionally. You think that's easy, but it's the hardest thing. So you either run away thinking that's not there, or you try to earn it. That's the story of these two brothers. One ran away thinking, oh, that's not there. I'm going to look for something better, something more complete. It's somewhere out there. All the sons stay, try to earn the love of Father. And that's the hardest thing. So the homecoming is coming to receive the unconditional love of the Father, the great grace of the Father. And you know, that's, that's repentance. Coming to God. Repentance isn't just turning around. Repentance isn't about being pure and following rules and doing everything right. Repentance is about turning around and then following Jesus. That's repentance. It's not complete by just by turning. But you've got to go somewhere. And you've got to follow Jesus. You have to be like Jesus. That's what it means to repent. So repentant life is, I'm, I turned around, I want to be like Jesus, follow Jesus, but I need God. So God invites all of us to repentance. And it doesn't need to be perfect. Some of you are still struggling. My faith isn't there yet. It's not complete. My repentance isn't pure. You know, baby steps first. Just recognize that you belong to God. In your, even in your rebellious ways. Say, I want to turn around. And it's going to take a while to keep following, but I recognize that I belong to God. And there's boundless love of God and great grace that's there. And that's all it takes to repentance. Going the direction of Jesus. How many of you think you are like the Father? Sometimes we stop at thinking that that I'm like the son, elder son or younger son, but in the end, you know, God calls us to be like Him, to be like this Father. You know, I hope I'm on the way of being like the Father with my gray beard and stuff. Just empty myself, giving up everything, receiving, forgiving, reaching out, loving like Father did. And... Um, don't remain at the place of elder son or younger son. If you have come home and you long to be home, be the sons who will be like the father. That's what it means to be sons. You're going to be one day like the father. You are called to be like the father. The story of a prodigal son. Wherever you are, come home. I know that all of us long to be home. And home is where the love of God is. And if you're at home, be faithful, sons, grow to be like the Father. Because that's what it means to live a repentant life and live life that's following Jesus. Let me pray. And we're going to share the bread and the cup, which is the symbol of the homecoming party that Jesus has started for us. Father, help us to know that it's not just the way we say it, but you are truly our Father who has greater grace than we deserve, greater grace that covers our shame and sin and our selfish repentance. 
Help us know that your grace is great and help us to come to believe that your great your love is unconditional. So help us to come home and long to be home wherever we find ourselves away, lost. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.